Please stand for the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose among the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and, showed it, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parenthius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you again for the kind invitation to join you all today. Thank you for your kindness towards, uh, towards me and, and our family as we've uh, visited a few times over the summer. Um, it's been a great joy to worship together with you all. Uh, let's, all let's pray again together uh, before we hear from God's word. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for inviting us here to be in your presence. And we pray that as we've heard from you, uh, these are words that are your words. They are words of life. And I pray that your spirit would help us to understand that our affections would grow for Jesus and that even as we listen, uh, that our hearts would be full of worship uh, for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, each of us, we have varying degrees of influence, of status, power, and privilege. But what really matters is if we are using these things rightly or not. And so I'm married, but what matters more than being a husband is how I'm treating my wife and how we are relating to one another and if she is flourishing and thriving in her life. I'm also a pastor, but what matters more than having this title is if I'm serving people, loving people, connecting with them more so than having this position of authority. Uh, in this passage, the disciples of Jesus have a tremendous amount of power and privilege, but we're going to fo focus on how they use their power and privilege because that is what matters. And so we're going to look at three things today. Uh, first, we'll look at the danger of power and privilege Secondly, we'll look at the healthy use of power and privilege. And then lastly, the beautiful outcomes. So first, the danger of power and privilege. 
Our, our passage opens in verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, to fully appreciate what's happening in our passage, we need a little bit of Israelite history. So after the Israelites were exiled by the Babylonians back in the 6th century BC, there were many who returned to Israel. But there were others who ended up choosing to settle in various areas in the Greco-Roman world. And those folks were known as the Hellenists. And so they were ethnic Jews who assimilated into Greek culture. And then the ones that eventually settled back in Jerusalem, they are the Hebrews. And so over time, uh, the Hellenists, right, the ethnic Jews who were settling in the Greco-Roman area, they would, some of them would eventually return back to Jerusalem uh, to settle back there, oftentimes in their old age. And so eventually, we would have in the early church two distinct groups of people. You would have the Hebrews and you would have the Hellenists. And our passage tells us that there was this growing widow population amongst both groups. At the time, our passage tells us that there was a system of daily distribution that was going on of essential items such as food, clothing, because widows at the time, no different than today, were one of the most vulnerable people in society. But it was the Hellenist widows who were being neglected. And if we take a moment to consider why, it's not that hard to imagine. So even though the Hebrews and the Hellenists, they were both ethnic Jews, they were actually very different from one another. They, they didn't share a similar upbringing culture, or even language. And so, because of these differences, we can imagine that they, there were obstacles and barriers between these two groups. And then on top of that, we have a distribution system that was managed by the apostles, who, let's be honest, they were more like the Hebrews. And these challenges are amplified even more because the sheer scale of the needs were increasing over, over time. And so, if we put ourselves in this context, when there are limited resources, there are overwhelming demands, what happens? We usually do what is best for us and for those that are closest to us. That's just human nature. And so it's not surprising that the Hellenist widows were, were overlooked. And all the while, the apostles have no idea that this is happening. And, and just to be clear, this oversight wasn't just because the apostles were overwhelmed with the needs. If that were the case, then we would see that all the widows, Hebrews and Hellenists, would have been neglected. But... The complaint comes from just the Hellenists. And so, friends, this is the danger of power and privilege. The danger is that we may not be even aware of what makes us privileged. Those who are underprivileged are constantly aware of what is disadvantaging them. 
Years ago, I, I once led a short-term missions trip to Ethiopia where uh, we partnered with the ministry that cares for the most vulnerable in the city, capital city of Addis Ababa. And, and part of our trip was we made uh, home visits to people in the city. We would offer medical care. We would pray for them, uh, listen to their stories. And on these visits, we often would take pictures. And our Ethiopian staff member uh, was encouraging us that when we return home to develop those pictures and mail them back uh, so that the folks that we visited could have memories of our trip and of our visits. And as we're talking through the logistics of how to make this happen, our Ethiopian staff member was telling us, hey, you actually could develop these pictures right here instead of having to wait till, till you get back to the States. And then when we found out exactly how much it cost to print pictures in Ethiopia, all of us on our team responded by saying, wow, that is so cheap. But without hesitation, without delay, the Ethiopian staff member responded to us and said, no, that is not cheap. All of us on, on the team, we were stuck in our privileged world of being middle to upper class. And this was all hidden and even invisible to us, even though it was so crystal clear to our Ethiopian staff member. So the danger of power and privilege is when it becomes unnoticeable that we may not even be aware that we have any of this. And the truth is that there is no cost to not notice. Life will go on just the same as it did the day before. But here in our passage, something even more dangerous can happen is that when we don't notice our power and privilege, that those on the margins may actually suffer as a result. And we may not even realize it. So the Hellenist widows here, they're being neglected. They're being overseen. They're ignored. And then at some point, they bring voice to all of this. In verse 1, it says that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, this word for complaint, uh, it describes this behavior of grumbling or, or murmuring. And so the picture here in Acts chapter 6 is not one of this intense, violent protest that, that's happening. But at the same time, the Hellenists, they are not silent about the mistreatment that they are experiencing. And so the apostles respond to all this, and that moves us to our second point, we're going to see the healthy use of power and privilege. Uh, starting in verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote, our, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the apostles here, they, they are showing us that a healthy use of power and privilege involves both validation and repair, especially 
in the face of mistreatment. So first, notice they validate the complaint. Right? The, the Hellenists, again, they weren't making this big scene uh, in this whole area. And so the apostles, they could have easily just swept this whole thing under the rug if they wanted to. But instead, what do we see? They stop everything. They listen to what they are saying. They believe what the Hellenists are saying. And this simple act of validation is so powerful because it communicates to the Hellenists that their complaint is worth considering and that they are worth considering. But friends, sadly, how many times have people in power, even in the church, have dismissed and discredited complaints? How many times have people been told, you just need to trust your leaders? Maybe you have a heart issue. Shouldn't you be more grateful for the things that the church has done for you? These misuses of power, they have no place in our world, and especially not in the church of Jesus. We ought to be a community that, that listens to one another, seeks to understand, where we are also willing to journey alongside people, no matter how difficult, no matter how complex the situation might be. A healthy use of power and privilege, it validates complaints because they are not seen as threats, but rather as opportunities to use power for the good of others. And so the apostles, they not only validate the complaint of the Hellenists, but they also do the hard work of repair. See, notice how the apostles, they don't handle this complaint behind closed doors, but they bring it out into the open for everyone to see. In verse 2, it says that the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. So they publicly acknowledge that they have messed up and done something wrong. And they continue this work of repair. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so these apostles, they choose to share their power with the Hellenists, who up until this time did not even have an ounce of power. But now they are given a chance to weigh in on the solution. But here, you know, it, it might look like the apostles, they're trying to delegate what they think might be second-tier work to, to somebody else. Uh, but what's interesting here is that the word ministry that's, that's in our text that we find in verse 4, that's referring to the preaching ministry of the apostles, and the word for distribution that we find in verse 1, talking about that system of care that they have, those two words are actually from the same Greek root word that means service. And so the work of the, work of the apostles, the work of this distribution, 
while they are different, they are of equal significance and equal value. And so the apostles, they're not delegating second-tier work. They are delegating spiritually important work to the Hellenists. They empower them to choose from, the, from themselves seven qualified, spiritually mature men uh, for this work. And what we find later is a public record is made of who has been chosen. And scholars, what they, what they point out for us is that the seven names are all Greek names. And so by doing this, the apostles, they, they're giving the Hellenists this meaningful sense of agency when before they didn't have any. Before this complaint, the Hellenists, they had no say in how this daily distribution was, was happening. They were at the mercy of the Hebrews. But now things are completely different because now they have complete say into how things are going to be done, not only for themselves, not only for their widows, but for everyone, for the Hebrews and the Hellenists. So the apostles, they show us a healthy use of power and privilege by validating the mistreatment against the Hellenists and then doing the work of repair. And these apostles, they were able to do this, not because they were just so wise and they just thought on the spot of like what to do, but we have to remember that they were following Jesus every single day for the last few years and seeing for themselves what a healthy use of power and privilege actually looks like. When we consider Jesus, the Son of God, he's someone who had infinite power and privilege. And yet, he chose to stoop down to become a human being. He chose to become just like us so that he could see us eye to eye. He could speak to us, relate to us. Every single day, Jesus, he saw people for their humanity and not for their utility. Instead of walking past the vulnerable and the marginalized, we would see Jesus going to them, stopping to listen to their stories, making their plight his plight. But Jesus was not someone who just had incredible emotional intelligence, but he is someone who did the hard work of repairing what is so wrong with all of us and with the world. One example that we, that we see this happening is wherever Jesus performed miracles throughout his ministry, giving sight to the blind, allowing the lame to walk, healing lepers to full health. Jeff White, he's a pastor in New York City, uh, he describes Jesus performing these miracles as if he's reaching into heaven and yanking back a piece of that perfection into the present day. What a beautiful picture of Jesus repairing what is so wrong and so broken in our world. And then we see the culmination of his ministry of validation and repair when he came to the cross giving up his life because he would face the ultimate enemy of sin, the evil that has shattered God's perfect creation, this power that is keeping all of us 
in bondage. But the enemy could not keep Jesus dead because we know the story of how Jesus, he rises again on that first Easter Sunday. He shows his true power where he's able to defeat death once and for all. His resurrection is is what has brought us salvation and freedom, agency to be the children of God. And so the power of Jesus brought an end to all of us and creation being slaves to sin. And so Jesus was all about this work of validation, of repair. And the apostles had a front row seat to all of this for these years. And no wonder that this shaped them to see how ought we use our power and privilege in healthy ways, even when they might not be doing it perfectly every single time. And then what we, what we see is what comes from all of this. Uh, that moves us to our final point, the beautiful outcomes. Verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so remember, this is a whole like public event that is taking place. And so everyone in the area is seeing what is happening. Right? The average person saw people in power using their status, using their influence, not to build a platform, not to take advantage of the weak for their own gain, but they saw people with status and influence giving it all away for the good of others. They see the apostles taking ownership for the mistreatment that they have done towards the Hellenists, and they see them also putting together a plan of repair. And we can only imagine that these apostles, they were not the same people after all of this. And that's one beautiful outcome that we see, is that those who have power and privilege can radically change for the better. Another beautiful outcome we see is that there are these bridges of trust that are beginning to form between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The last person that was uh, listed uh, amongst these people who were selected in verse 6 is Nicholas. It says that he's a proselyte of Antioch, which means that he is a convert to Christianity, which means being from Antioch, more likely than not, he has zero Jewish background. And so his fellow Hellenist brothers come to him, invite him to be part of this amazing responsibility. And what if Nicholas responds to them saying, uh, guys, I don't know any Hebrew. Like, I'm not like these other people. And I wouldn't be surprised if his Hellenist brothers responded to him saying, well, hey, you might not know Hebrew, but you are a man of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. You, a convert, zero Jewish background, you are fully qualified for this responsibility. 
And so how empowering would it have been to see someone like Nicholas being chosen for this community to be able to see? And so can you imagine this beginning a process of built bridges of trust beginning to form between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And not only do we see that there are bridges of trust happening across cultures, we also see them happening uh, between lines of class. It's interesting, at the end of verse 7, it says that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, in the Jewish tradition, there actually was a hierarchy amongst the priests where you had, you had the high priest on one end and then all the other priests on the other. There were actually many priests who, who didn't live luxurious lives. There were many priests who actually were poor. And so when these priests see how the Hellenist widows are being treated with generosity, perhaps they're starting to think differently about Jesus. Perhaps they're starting to think differently about the prophets and their message. Something like Isaiah, and when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so perhaps some of these priests are beginning to think about these prophecies, these messianic prophecies in a whole new way. And they're beginning to see that these prophecies are indeed about Jesus himself. And so they start following him. And so what does this mean for all of us? For those of us who are Christian, why don't we ask ourselves, how can we continue Jesus' ministry of validation and repair? When complaints and protests and cries for help come our way, how might we embody the approach of Jesus, the one who stopped to listen, to understand, to believe? Can we see people through the eyes of Jesus and seeing people for their humanity, not for their utility? When complaints come our way, can we not only validate the complaint, but can we also see the person behind the complaint? And how might we join the work of repair by bringing a piece of heaven into a dark place so that the bonds of sin and evil can be loosened so that we could all live in the freedom that Jesus has paid for us? How might God call us to be a people that builds bridges of trust with those who are different from us? How might God call us to be a people that builds bridges of trust 
with those who are invisible to us, those who are often written off by the world. And friends, this work, it's not easy for sure. What the apostles did required a lot of effort on their part to do what is not convenient. But what we see here and the invitation we have is to show in word and in deed that the gospel, it really is good news. That the gospel isn't lip service. It's not just these pleasantries that are given, but it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power that breaks the chains of sin. It's a power that brings freedom to all of creation. It's the power of Jesus who's reconciling all things to himself. And so, friends, what a wonderful invitation that we have to respond to Jesus, bringing the good news to wherever we are. And so let's consider this call to continue Jesus' ministry of validation and repair, not, not just because we know that this is a good idea and this is the right thing to do necessarily, but, but we do it because we know he has empowered us to do this ourselves. We have the power of Jesus, the one who used his power and privilege in healthy and beautiful ways, and he is sending us out to do the same so that the world would know that the gospel, it really is good, beautiful news. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, there there are many moments when we come across your word where it is challenging, it is hard. It it acts like this mirror of, of where we are exposed for the ways in which we are not living in line with how you would desire us to be. But at the same time, God, I thank you that your word it also is a great comfort to us. It is one that doesn't condemn, but one that brings life. It brings forgiveness. It brings restoration. And so, God, I, I do pray that, that we would experience the powerful ministry of Jesus in our lives, the ways in which he has validated us, that he has brought about immense repair to the brokenness within us. And God, I pray that we would not hoard this to ourselves, but we would be known as a people that is on the lookout to validate and repair the dark places of our world so that the beauty of Christ would emerge more and more God, help us to do this by by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I invite.